Well, good morning, City Light Lincoln Church. It's good to see all of you here. Uh, my name is Austin. I'm one of the pastors here. And if you're just joining us this morning, uh, we've been walking through the, the Gospel of John, the book of John, and uh, it's been incredible um, this, uh, for the past seven weeks. And so uh, this book is jam-packed with uh, just expanding on, on who this Jesus is, this man named Jesus. And so, uh, man, he's unlike anyone that has ever or will ever live. And so my aim this morning is to uh, learn more about this Jesus. And uh, we'll be learning through John chapter 6. Um, but before we jump in, I just want to ask, uh, do any of you guys, do any of you get hangry? Do you know what I mean? Like, does anyone get hangry? And if you don't know what hangry means, it's a, it's a word that combines two words, hungry and angry. Okay? So it's like, you, you don't eat, you're a little bit low on, uh, on sugar and stuff like that, and then you just turn into a different person, right? You're a little bit angry, and um, you all see, see me in my joyous state on Sundays, right? But y'all don't know I had a couple Krispy Kremes, okay? When I don't get my Krispy Kremes, and I don't have a cheeseburger at lunch, I turn into a different person a little bit, okay? So, um... If you, if you haven't seen the Snickers, you're not you when you're hungry commercials, like that's kind of what I'm talking about. So we've got a clip real quick. We'll play it, uh, and then you'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. <laughs> that's a, can I just say that Betty White's a legend, by the way? She's like, I don't know how they did the tackling thing, but it seemed like she really got tackled. Okay, so... Um, Anyway, so I asked my wife, you know, I'm like, no, I'm going to be preaching about this. And I asked my wife, hey, sweetheart, is there, like, do I turn into anybody? Or like, you know, what do I, when I'm hungry? And she's like, without even a beat, she's like, oh yeah, you're an old guy in a nursing home that can't help himself. <laughs> really? That's where you go? Right away, not even, and so I'm like, thanks, sweetie, love you too. Uh, but anyway, so I guess I turn into an old guy in a nursing home that can't help himself. I get kind of crazy, and I just lay on the couch, and I'm like, sweetie, I'm hungry. So uh, anyways, I'll admit, I get a little bit hangry, but I, I love these commercials because they point out that— um, that uh, basically that we aren't ourselves when we're hungry, right? We need something more. We need to fill ourselves with Snickers specifically we become, or we become a different person. Um, but another thing that this points out is that uh, we need to constantly fill ourselves back up with Snickers or we turn back into the person we don't want to be, right? That's kind of what it's getting to. It's a never-ending cycle. So we get hungry and then we get angry and then we're hangry and we turn into Betty White or an old man or something like that. Um, until we have a Snickers. Um, now, Snickers' slogan that they kind of paste is Snickers satisfies, right? That's what they say. And though that's a fun title, I actually don't think it's true um, because uh, true satisfaction isn't contingent on having to get more and more of it. Does that make sense? So the title of the sermon is Jesus Satisfies, because I feel like that's a truer statement we see. It's um, he's not contingent on getting more of it. He's sufficient in and of himself. And so this morning in John chapter 6, we're going to see that Jesus' satisfaction isn't like Snickers, right? Like Jesus is confronting our hearts and telling us that we need to stop uh, going to the same stuff that doesn't give us life. We need to try something different, right? And it's insanity to think about going to the same things and expecting different results. And so Jesus is saying, man, you've tried all these different things. Come to me. 
You've tried more stuff. You've tried more square footage. You've tried more women, more success, more, uh, more goals achieved, more places visited, and yet you're still hungry inside and you need more. And so this morning, he's, he's telling us in John 6, you need to find me. I, I'm the bread that came from heaven, and I am the only one that can actually satisfy your hungry souls simply by coming and believing in me. Uh, so this morning, if you haven't placed your faith in Jesus and believe that he can truly satisfy you, my challenge to you is take an honest look at your life and see what you're trying to fill your life with and if it satisfies. Or if you've been going back to the same thing over and over and over again and yet you feel empty. So I pray that as we open up God's word that you would see Jesus for who he truly is and say, man, I want that, the true living bread that can satisfy my hungry soul. And if you have believed in Jesus, if you're in the room and you have placed your faith in Jesus, um, this morning, I just want to ask, man, have you started to look to other things to satisfy your heart? Have you ran to, you've, you've tasted of the goodness of Jesus and been satisfied in him, but then started to journey off to look into other things to satisfy your heart? Have you done that? I pray this morning you'd be reminded that Jesus is all you need, that he's all sufficient in and of himself, and, uh, and he is uh, your goodness, and that by that you would turn and treasure him more than anything else. So we're going to be in John chapter 6. You can open up your Bibles there. We'll start by reading John 6, uh, 22 through 31. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. And other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. And when they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which is the Son of Man or which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? And Jesus answered, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What works do you perform? Our our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness, as it is written, He gave them bread from heaven. So point number one, my first point, is that you're hungry for something more. You're hungry for something more. Okay, so to catch us up on what's been happening in in chapter 6 so far, to lead us to this point, Jesus was hanging out at a lake, and this crowd starts to follow him because they heard he's a miracle worker, right? I want to give me some Jesus. I want to see what this guy's all about. So they come. Jesus is teaching, and he's like, you know what? Uh, These people are hungry. Maybe we should feed them. And so they call up Chick-fil-A. They're closed because it's a Sunday. And so he's like, they're like, hey, how are we going to feed all these people? And so Jesus says, well, this little boy, or they find this little boy. He's got a sack lunch. He says, hey, let's turn this lunch into feeding over 5,000 people. So they do that. And everyone's fed, and they're pumped, and they're excited. But then they're like, oh, this guy's a prophet. Like, he, he's just like, he's a big deal. We should make him king, but they don't understand what Jesus came here to do. So all that stuff's happening. Um, and, uh, and Jesus just leaves the crowd. He sends his disciples to the other side of the lake. He takes just a little walk on the water. No big deal. And then he gets to the other side, okay? 
Then the next day, the crowds are still there. They're looking around. They're getting a little bit hungry, maybe a little bit hangry. And they're like, hey, where's that magic bread guy? Dude made a great filet of fish, and I want some more. Okay, so they're wondering where he is. They start to seek him, but they figure out that Jesus went to the other side. So they all pack into boats like sardines, and they get to their side seeking Jesus. That's what's, that's the setting, okay? I know we reeled through it, but that's it. Now, before you start to like clap and admire their seeking of Jesus, look at uh, verse 26. Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. So Jesus is telling the crowd that they think they came here for him, but they actually came here because they wanted more bread right? And then he continues in verse 27. He says, look, do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. Jesus is showing these people that they're hungry for something more, okay? Uh, and, and in this, Jesus point out, points out that there's two kinds of food, right? The first is food for the body, which is necessary, but not the most important. And then there's the other food, which is food for the inner man, your spirit, which is essential, okay? Um, and, and he's pointing out what the people needed wasn't more food. They needed life, and life is a gift. See, food only sustains life, but Jesus gives life, right? The people were looking at Jesus because they wanted bread, not because they wanted him. See, they were more concerned with hungry stomachs than hungry souls. They came to him because they wanted stuff from him, not because they wanted him, and this happens, man, all the time. Like, we're guilty of it. We start to use Jesus as a means to an end. So there's this thing right now that's been around for a while, and it's called the prosperity gospel. So a preacher stands up on stage, and he says, look, uh, G- you come to Jesus, and you'll get all the bread you want. Matter of fact, if you come to Jesus, everyone you love won't get hurt anymore. They won't suffer. You won't suffer. You want that car? You're going to get that car. Jesus wants that for you. And, and the premise of it is you're a child of God, and God doesn't want his children to suffer. That's the whole premise of the prosperity gospel. But that's absurd because the very king that we worship was a great sufferer, right? He came and he died. And in John 16, 33, he says, in this world, you will have tribulation. You will have hurts and struggles, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So why, you know, I just don't know how that even happened that we would come before Jesus and say, the prosperity gospel is real, but you look through the Bible, Jesus is constantly warning, you're going to be hated, you're going to be hurt, you're going to have tribulation. And what happens with the prosperity gospel is that people start to come to Jesus because of what they can get from him. He becomes a means to an end, and we do this in all sorts of ways. So many of us in the room, I think, are guilty of doing this in some ways, right? So we think that he can fix my marriage, or he can help me get married. Hallelujah, praise God. Or he can fix some problems in my life. We'll attend church because we think that it'll help our kids get better, as if our kids need Jesus more than we do, right? You see all this stuff. We, we think, man, I'll come to church to keep up my appearances, or to keep my spouse happy, or meet more friends, or all these different things. And what happens is he becomes a means to get what we really want, We move past Jesus. He's the middleman. We say, okay, I'll take you so I can have this. And when we operate out of that, we're not worshiping Jesus. We're worshiping prosperity. And I'm not throwing stones. You think 17-year-old Austin wanted to go to Bible study on Wednesday night? 
Mm-mm. 17-year-old Austin wanted to impress some cute girls, okay? And I thought, if I get my life right with Jesus, maybe, just maybe, he might make one of those girls date me, okay? And maybe marry me. And so, you know, I'm thinking I'm gonna get my life right. I get to college. I pursue this super godly girl. I walk up to her, got my hair slicked back. Hey, what's up, girl? I've uh, been reading through the book of Numbers and noticed I didn't have yours. <laughs> no lie, I literally did that, Okay. <laughs> And she giggled at me and walked away and didn't say anything. So guys, if you have that in your back pocket, throw it away. Okay, don't keep it there. It doesn't work. Uh, And so, man, but I remember thinking, Jesus, I used my best pickup line. Uh, I've been doing all this stuff. And and I'm I'm honestly thinking through, man, I, I did... I've done everything for you. I I stopped looking at this. I started going to church. I'm in Bible study. I'm doing all these things. I'm getting my life right. Jesus, the least you can do for me is get, uh, give me a wife. Give me someone to, 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 um, to live my life with. And what I realized was that I thought I wanted Jesus, but all I wanted was a wife. Does that make sense? I thought, I'll, I'll take you as long as I can get that. And I didn't actually come to Jesus I, I was so confused in that, and that's exactly what's going on in our text. See, the crowds think they wanted Jesus, but they really wanted more bread. And Jesus says, you guys are looking at me like I'm a meal ticket, but I've got something better. How does eternal life sound? How's that sound? That's really what you're hungry for. And listen, let me, let me say this. There's nothing wrong with wanting bread. Jesus says, don't, just don't spend your entire life working for it. There's nothing wrong with wanting to get married. There's nothing wrong with a big house. There's nothing wrong with wealth. There's nothing wrong with wanting your kids to have morals. Jesus is saying, I just have something better in store for you. Eternal life. That's what I came here to do. And he wants us to see that our hungry hearts can't be satisfied by this world. And so let me ask you this morning, honestly and full of grace, why are you here? Like, why, why are you here? Are you here just to get stuff from Jesus or are you here to actually seek him and, and, and spend time with him? And I'm glad you're here and I'm so happy you're in the room this morning, but I just want to ask that mo- motive and the motivation. Why do you come if you're here consistently? Is it so that your life can get a little better or is it so you can worship the true king? Because Jesus is offering you something far better than just stuff. He's offering you himself. And in verse 28, they ask, well, how how can they work for eternal life, right? They're like, hey, how can we work for this? How can we do the works of God? But they completely miss the word give in verse 27. So they're they're steeped in legalistic religion and a works-based understanding of God. They thought they had to do something to get eternal life. But Jesus says there's only one work necessary for salvation, and that's to believe in the Savior, right? So hear me when I say this. You can work for the bread for your body. You can go out, get paid, make your rate, and you can buy as nice a house you want, all the bread you want, all that stuff, but you can't work for the bread for your soul. That has to be given to you. You can't work for it. You can't eventually earn it. It has to be given to you, and you have to humbly receive it. City Light, we have to see that we're hungry for something more. This world cannot satisfy. And wanting Jesus for worldly prosperity isn't wanting Jesus, it's wanting prosperity. We are hungry for something that this world cannot satisfy. We need bread from heaven. So let's look at verses 32 and 34. Jesus then said to them, 
Truly I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. And they said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Now in verses 30 and 31, the crowd says, Look, Jesus, we want to believe in you. We really do. But just give us a sign. As if feeding 5,000 people wasn't sign enough. I don't know what they're thinking, but nonetheless, they say, we, we want a sign. You, you, you showed our fathers uh, the manna, and we, we want something like that. Um, and so in Exodus 16, the Israelites, the Jews, uh, were just freed from slavery. So they're freed uh, by miraculous stuff. And they start complaining and worrying and saying, hey, God, uh, man, where's our food? We're, we're getting hungry. We want some, we want some food. And, and in their complaining, God says, all right, you know, I'll level with you guys. I'm going to provide for you. Every single morning, you're going to wake up and there's going to be bread for you. You're not going to work for it. You're not going to toil for it. It's just going to be presented to you. It'd be a sign of his provision. So it sounds awesome, looks awesome. And uh, sure enough, every morning for 40 years, God provides this bread and they call it manna. Uh, And so so the crowd uh, around Jesus is asking for a sign like manna. They say, hey, you do this for our fathers. We want to see you do it for us. And Jesus' response in verses 32 to 33 is amazing. Look at it. It was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of life is he who comes down from the Father, from heaven, and gives life to the world. Okay, so from these verses, I want to answer two questions for us this morning. And the first one is, where did this bread come from? Okay, where did the bread come from? Now first, Jesus says that the manna given to them wasn't from Moses, it was from God. And in the same way, this true bread they're speaking of isn't from the world, it's from heaven. And then in verse 33, Jesus says, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. We have to be clear, Jesus isn't speaking about actual bread, he's speaking about a man, right? And then in verse 35, he just clearly says, I am the bread of life. Okay, so where does this bread come from? Heaven. Who is it? Jesus, right? Seven times in this chapter, Jesus referred to his coming down from heaven, which is a statement declaring that he is indeed God. So thousands of years ago, uh, thousands of years ago, God sent them a sign that he was providing. But then in John chapter six, he's showing that he's providing himself. So much better. I gave you bread, but now I'm giving you true bread. See, this crowd's looking for a sign, and Jesus says, I'm not interested in giving you the sign. I want to give you the substance, the real thing. You guys are looking for manna, but that's far too small compared to what I want to give to you. See, Jesus just isn't just trying to give them stuff. He's giving them himself, which is far better. Jesus is the true living bread that came down from heaven. And question number two well, what does this bread do, right? We know where it's from. It's from heaven. Awesome. It's from God. But what does it do? Why is this bread better than the manna God gave our fathers? Like, what, what, the stuff sounds really appealing right now. And more bread, I'm pretty hungry. So why should I want this bread more than the bread that we're talking about, right? What does this bread do? Well, verse 33 says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. When Jesus called himself the living bread, he wasn't claiming to be exactly like the manna. He was claiming to be even better, 
right? See, the manna only sustained life for the Jews, but Jesus gives life to the whole world. The Jews ate, daily, ate the manna daily, and they eventually died, but when you receive Christ within you, you live eternally. So what does this bread do? It gives life. <laughs> it gives life. See, when God gave the manna, he gave only a gift, but when Jesus came, he gave himself. The Jews had to eat manna over and over and over again every single day, and they eventually died. But the sinner who trusts Christ once is given eternal life. That's why he satisfies. That's why he's better. See, manna was like Snickers, right? It was good, and it sustains you for a little bit, but you've got to have more, or else you're going to turn back into this old person, And that's not satisfaction. It's sustaining it best. But Jesus gives eternal life once and for all to satisfy our deepest need, which is eternal life. Now, the crowd wanted bread so that they wouldn't have to toil to maintain life. And people today, us in the room, we're guilty of sometimes coming to Jesus only for the benefits he's able to give. And do you see how absurd that is? How crazy it is to say, you know, I want your stuff, Jesus, but I'm not really interested in you. To come to Jesus to get stuff is like my wife marrying me just so she has a place to live and money to buy groceries. But the best part of marriage isn't shared finances. It's a best friend to spend your life with, right? The best part of marriage isn't isn't changing your status to marry. It's having a best friend to create memories with and stories with and travel with. The best part of marriage isn't the ring that you wear. It's the person you get to share your life with. Listen, don't come to Jesus for his stuff. That's far too small. Come to him for him. And as I'm thinking about this, man, I've just realized, I have a little brother and sister whom I love, and they live in McCook, Nebraska. It's about four hours away. And I've realized as I've gotten older, it's really easy to send my little brother an Amazon gift card. It's really easy to send my sister flowers and tell him, send him a text that I love or maybe call him. It's really easy to send, me, send them gifts, but the hardest thing to give, the most costly thing is myself, going and visiting them, Right? It's easy to send a gift card and write a little letter. It's hard to actually drive four hours and be there. And so what I'm saying is, guys, the gifts of God are great, but God himself is the greater gift, right? And God can give all those things and still be distant from you. But instead he says, no, I'm not just going to give you this. I'm going to give you myself. I'm going to come. I'm going to give the greater gift. But before I move on to my last point, let me say this. When Jesus says he brings life, he's claiming to be the only true thing that can satisfy your soul. He's saying that there's a hidden desire in all of us that we try and fill with uh, being loved more or or belonging or, or security or safety. But he's saying, even if you get all of those things, you still won't be satisfied. You'll still be hungry for more. In the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon says that God put eternity in all man's heart. So essentially, there's this hole in your heart that's like a God shaped hole that you can try and fill it with anything else, but until you fill it with Jesus, it'll always be empty. So that means that no matter, it doesn't matter how many women you have, it won't be enough. 
It doesn't matter how much money you make, it won't be enough. It doesn't matter how many vacations you go on or countries you visit, it will not be enough. It doesn't matter how awesome your spouse is or how well-behaved your kids are, it will not be enough. This world cannot, will not, can never satisfy you. And we think, yeah, I kind of get that, but maybe the next relationship, maybe the next pay raise, maybe the next new office I get, maybe all of these things, maybe when I pay off my debt then, but no, you get to that place and yet you're still hungry. And Jesus is saying this morning, are you hungry? You can come to me and I'll satisfy that. I'm the bread of life from heaven. And after Jesus says that in verse 34, the crowd responds and says, well, give us this bread always. That sounds way better than this stuff. So the question becomes, well, if this bread gives life, well, then how do we get it? Right? How, how, how do we get it? So let's read in verses 35 through 51. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. And so the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. And I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets and they, uh, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he was from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. So point number one, you're hungry for something more. Point number two, Jesus is the bread of life. And my last point, this one, is that you got to eat to live. You got to eat to live. So the simple answer to how you get eternal life is to believe in Jesus, right? How do you get eternal life? Simple. Not more works, not better behavior. You need to believe in Jesus. But what does it mean to believe? right? Like, I know it's kind of ambiguous, and what does it mean specifically to believe? And so I think these verses give us a clear and helpful understanding that to believe means to come and eat. To believe means to come and eat. So raise your hand if you've been outside of the country, outside of the United States. A lot of us, Canada doesn't count. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Hey, I love Canada. Uh, But a couple years ago, my wife and I are doing some mission work in South Africa. We met there. We've been there several times. We love South Africa. Now, one thing you guys should know about the South Africans is that they don't really waste any part of the animal. 
okay? Like they eat chicken feet, uh, they eat ears, brains, eyes, all that stuff. And so we're hanging out one day, hanging out with our friends, and uh, they're like, hey, uh, you guys want some half cop? I'm like, I don't know what half cop is, so I'm just going to go ahead and say no, right? I'm going to politely say no. And, and I'm with Ben, one of our interns, and he says yes to everything, which is kind of cool and sometimes dangerous. And so he says yes. Sure enough, a couple minutes later, they got some half cop for us, right? To my surprise, it's half of a sheep's face, okay? It's half a sheep head. And so I'm looking at this thing. It's got the brain and the eye and the ear and the tongue and all this a little bit of face on the, a uh, 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 little bit of meat on the face. And I'm like, Homeboy's not interested, okay? And they're like, no, you got to try the brain. It's amazing. The brain's awesome. I'm like, no, I love cheeseburgers at McDonald's. That's what I like. This isn't going to be awesome. And so anyways, they're like, no, try it out. And so I'm like, they're pressuring me, and I gave in, okay? I'm just kind of a people pleaser sometimes. sometimes. And so I, I grabbed the brain. Mmm, thank you. And I put it in my mouth, and mmm, mmm. And they're like laughing. Like, it's amazing. I'm like, mmm, So I walk around the corner. No one's looking. Spit it out. I'm done, right? Homeboy's not trying to get sick after eating some sheep face. I'm not interested in doing that. And so, and so I want to ask a question. Did they think that, did they believe that I ate the brain? Yeah. They saw me put it in my mouth. They saw me chew it. They looked like I ate it. But did I really eat it? No, I didn't. I chewed it up. I tasted it. It was great, but I didn't actually swallow it. It didn't actually, I didn't actually internalize it. And man, with Christianity today, I think we've fallen into the danger of looking like we believe in Jesus, but not ever actually believing in him. He's metaphorically in our mouth, and we're tasting him, and from the outside, and it looks like we're believing in him, but some of us never actually have believed in Jesus. We've came to him for the wrong reasons. See, believing isn't just an intellectual thing. It's not just saying, yeah, I believe that or I ascribe to that intellectual thought or that doctrine. It means to come to Christ and give your whole self to him. To say, you can have everything. And and at the close of his sermon, Jesus illustrated coming and believing by speaking about eating and drinking. And so to come to Christ and believe in him means to receive him within just as you receive food and drink right? In John 6, 51, Jesus says, kind of sums it all up, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that will, uh, the bread that I give, I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. This is a declaration that the Son of God would be sacrificed for the sins of man. He would be our substitute. So on the cross, he would take the penalty for our sins. He would take the punishment for what we were guilty of. That's the epitome of love. That's the gospel that Jesus would die, take the place. He would be broken apart for our sins so they could be forgiven and we could be redeemed. Now we learned earlier that manna in the Old Testament was just a picture of what God would do in Christ, the true bread, right? So that bread that they received would point to true and better bread that came down from heaven. Not to sustain life, but to give life. That's the difference. But let's be clear, the manna given to the Israelites was given to rebellious people. 
Okay, it was a gracious gift of God. They were complaining, they're arguing, they're not trusting, they're thinking, you're not, I can, it doesn't seem like you're providing God, but in his grace, he gives them bread every single day to show them I'm providing for you. In your rebellion, I'm gonna provide for you. All they had to do was stoop down and pick it up. City Light, Jesus isn't far from any sinner. Doesn't matter how much you've fallen into, doesn't matter how long you've ran away, he's not far from you. All you'd have to do is stoop down and pick it up. Humbly receive his grace. Now in John 6, verses 37 through 40, Jesus explains the process of personal salvation. Okay? And he shows that it, it, uh, it involves, to be saved, salvation involves both divine sovereignty and human responsibility. Okay, divine sovereignty, human responsibility. So the Father gives men and women to the Son. He draws them in, but these men and women must come to him. That is, to, to believe in him, right? And I know, I know this is kind of confusing, right? Like, what do, what do you mean? But think of a dinner invitation. You don't just come over to my house unexpected or uninvited, right? You get a text or a call or an email, and I say, hey, let's come over, have dinner, and then you come. So again, Jesus is showing us that the first step in salvation isn't us to God, it's God to us. We have to be clear that Jesus is the hero of our story. He's done all the heavy lifting. He pursues us when we're running away. He draws us near when we're far off. No one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him in. But with any invitation, there's a responsibility on us to actually accept it, right? And actually go. And that's what Jesus says is the only work necessary for salvation, to simply believe. So John 6, 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. John 6, 47, everyone who believes has eternal life. So belief, right? So I want to say two things about belief to make it a little bit practical. Two things about true belief. Number one, true belief is intimate. Okay, true belief is intimate. In verse 51, Jesus says, you have to eat of this bread. Now, none of us are cannibals, at least I hope, okay? And if you are, I don't think I'd taste very good, okay? Eat Mo. He eats organic stuff, all right? So run after him. But um, Jesus isn't telling people to literally eat him. No, he's using a physical metaphor to show us what it means to spiritually believe in him. Okay, a physical metaphor to show us what it means to spiritually believe in him. And this might sound a little bit weird, but believe it or not, eating is the most intimate thing we do on a regular basis. Okay, what you're doing when you eat is you're taking something that's outside of your body and bringing it inside of your body. It's becoming part of you. You're literally taking something out here and putting it inside you. And that's what it looks like to believe in Jesus. Jesus isn't just a good moral teacher or a good guy. He is those things, but he's also the king, creator, and redeemer of the world. And he's saying, I want to live inside you. I want to make my dwelling in you. I want to change your life. I want to make you into new creation. I want to go into every area of your life and change you. That's what it looks like to believe in Jesus. It's true. It's intimate. And what it does is it moves God from being a distant concept to someone you actually love. Friends, true belief is intimate. And second, true belief is active. Okay, true belief is active. Let me give you an illustration. Some of y'all saw this donut up here, and you're thinking, in between songs, Katie's gonna 
eat this. I don't know. She might. But anyways, I got this donut, right? It's a great Krispy Kreme. Uh, and so I can do a lot of things with this, right? Like I can look at it. I can smell it. I can see the texture. I can rip it off and throw a piece to you. I can do all that, right? Like I can do a lot of things with this. But until I put it in my mouth, start to chew it, and actually swallow it, it does nothing for me. Until I put it in my mouth, mmm, and taste of this goodness, right? But I still haven't eaten it, have I? Right? Still in my mouth, but mmm, right? That's it, right? So that's what it means to actually believe, to internalize something. And so, listen, belief is not passive, right? It's not passive. It's not just a cognitive exercise that you say, I believe in that. I'll raise my hand to that. No, it requires that we take steps of faith and exercise that belief, right? So what does it look like to have an intimate and active belief in Jesus? Well, I think first and foremost, it means that you want to spend time with him, okay? Not just asking him, hey, God, I want a bigger house, and I want a nice of this, and I want— No, but just to say, Dad, I just want to hang out with you. I just want to spend time with you. And I think one of the best ways to spend time with God is in his word, right? Open this up and learn from it. Start, if you haven't opened it, start in the book of John and just read through it with us and spend some time alone. Memorize it, think about it, dwell on it, and let his word wash over you and transform you. To have an active belief means to get into the word of God and spend time with him. I think it also means that we submit our lives to him in joyful obedience. It means that we repent and we turn away from our sin. It means that we give grace to ourselves and understand God's grace is sufficient for us. I think having an, having an active and intimate faith and a belief means that if we let God speak into every area of our lives, and if there's something that we disagree with, there's a conflict between our thought and the Bible, the Bible wins. It does. It's hard to believe that. It's hard to walk in that. But God, it's true and it's good, and I'll let it speak over my life. I think that's what it means to have an intimate belief in Jesus. And so City Light, let me be clear, Jesus isn't inviting you to make him a part of your life. He's inviting you to, to believe in him and get life. That's his invitation. And so I truly want to ask every person in the room, this is sobering, but have you actually believed in Jesus? And don't just quickly say, yep, I have because I'm here and I've been going here for a while and I grew up in church. No, have you actually believed in Jesus? Search your heart, man. Have you eaten of the bread of life? Or have you just chewed it around in your mouth, thought about it, tasted it, but not actually swallowed it, not actually internalized it? And Jesus is saying, man, just as you take food and drink within your body and it becomes part of you, so you must receive me within your innermost being so that I might give you life. So would you do that this morning? If you're at that place, if you're like, man, I don't know if I have, would you do that this morning? Simple belief. You don't have to get better. Don't have to work harder. Just believe in Jesus. And if you have believed in Jesus, if you're in the room, you said, no, I have believed in Jesus. I have chewed around and I've swallowed it. It's Jesus is inside of me. I believed in him. Are you resting in the satisfaction he gives? Or are you running to things that you know won't give life and won't deliver? Don't run back to those old things that won't give life, that won't deliver in order to get life. You, you have the source of him right here. And so can I ask, is your belief being played out intimately? 
So I just want to challenge you, man. If you say, yeah, I have trust in Jesus, this, this week, would you just sit down with him, wake up early, go to bed late, I don't know what it is, take a lo- bigger lunch break, and just, just spend time with him. Just talk to him and see how refreshed your heart is. And there's no agenda. There's no, it just, I just want to hang out with my heavenly father. City Light, Jesus is the true bread from heaven. And the only thing that can satisfy our hungry souls, we believe in him whom the father sent and we're gifted eternal life. Amen. I'm going to pray for us.